Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Last few weeks, we've been speaking about the Holy Spirit, and we have looked at uh, a number of different things, one of them being uh, the symbols of the Holy Spirit. The last few weeks, we've looked at the symbols of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the idea of the Holy Spirit being pictured as oil, and that's for empowerment for ministry. And last week, we spoke about the Holy Spirit being uh, pictured as wine, and it's really a picture of coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to speak with you on today, the message that I have is entitled, The Witness of the Spirit. And I want to speak to you on the symbol of the Spirit being a seal. The Spirit being a seal, not, not an animal creature you find in the water, <laughs> but, but something uh, that you might find on a document to certify and authenticate that it's genuine and it's legit. This is uh, actually quite profound, what, what it really shows us about the Holy Spirit and about his role in our lives. So let's, let's just pray, and then we're going to open up the scriptures together. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are alive and in this place and living in hearts, and you are testifying to the fact that we belong to our Father. And I just pray today, Lord, that those that don't know you, that today they would be sealed by the Spirit. And Father, those that are struggling with feeling like they belong, God, that they would find a place of confidence today. They would see that they belong to the family of God because the Spirit of God has been poured out on them. Father, I pray that as we open up your word, you simply would just just breathe on it. I pray that you would anoint me to speak your word, that it would cause incredible fruit and life to take place in every heart here. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 13 to 14. We're going to start here. Here, Here's here's what I'll say. Again, we're looking at the witness of the Spirit, and we're emphasizing the symbol in the Bible, which is a seal. These last few weeks, we've been on this this series for a little bit now. These last few weeks, um, I've been greatly blessed because it's caused me to really pour over the scriptures with respect to the Holy Spirit in a way that I really have never done before. And as a result, God just continues to reveal and show things. And on top of that, I've just, I've gleaned from so many other men and women of God and and the things that the Lord has showed them. And as, as I kind of step back, I can see that Overall, the purpose, mission, everything could really be summed up in that the Holy Spirit is, he's sanctifying us and that he's making us more like Jesus, right? But in that, there's three things that I see, a consistent theme. And one is that he guides us into truth. Two is that he provides empowerment for ministry. Without the anointing, without the Spirit, you cannot have any effect in ministry. You can do things and stay busy. But without the anointing, that's the only thing that breaks the yoke. We talked about that. And in particular, the Holy Spirit provides empowerment by effective witness, authority to preach the gospel, and mighty works, healing and deliverance that accompanies the preaching. You see it throughout Jesus' life in the scriptures with the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts. But the third thing, one of the third primary purposes of the Holy Spirit is certification. That's the word that they would use, certification or authenticating. In other words, the Holy Spirit's been given to certify that you are a child of God. You have to understand how important this is. One of his primary roles 
is to bear witness, not to the world, but to you, that you belong to God now. This is incredibly important because without the Spirit doing this, we would go through life not wondering, do we really belong to God? Is he really our father? Is salvation really being applied to my life? And the whole, listen, one of God's greatest desires, God desires that all of us would operate from a place of profound security in his love and his power. God wants all of us to know that we belong to him when you come into saving faith with Jesus. And I just, I share that because I do believe that I needed this so bad this week and just the last few weeks, and I just sense that I'm probably not alone, that we often go through life and walk through things where we really, we, uh, we question whether or not we really belong to the Lord. We question if we're really his, and, uh, and I'm going to go through some of the implications of that because, listen, if a child doesn't know he's secure in a family, he leads to a very disruptive child. A child needs to know that he's secure. God wants you to know that you are secure in him when you confess the name of Christ and are sealed by the Spirit. So there's a few scriptures that I'll read. I'm going to start right here. This gives us a little insight into the Holy Spirit as a seal. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. This is what it says. In him you also, meaning in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... And believed in him, meaning Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. Paul is talking about uh, not an event. He's talking about a fact. This is not something you need to wait to experience. It's actually something you need to start believing and walking in. The moment you confessed Christ and believed in the gospel, which is Christ crucified for you, the scriptures say you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14 says, Listen to this, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're going to see a, a theme when it speaks to the Holy Spirit being a seal in terms of a guarantee of what is to come. But here's what I want to do. I want to try to keep this as simple as possible. I want, I want to use three different ways a seal, a seal can function and to show how the Holy Spirit functions in a similar manner. And the first two I really want to spend time on, the last one I'll share briefly. The first thing is this, especially in biblical times, but today we use seals. One of the primary purposes of a seal is to authenticate something. It's to certify something. It's to establish something. It's to guarantee that something is legit, right? We may see, we may use it on a lesser scale. If you were to write an official letter, you would need it to be on letterhead, Someone wants to know this is official. Well, a seal is even that much more uh, of a confirmation that this thing is is legit. So in biblical times, they would seal documents to say this is official document. And not only that, when they seal a document, they're actually attesting that everything that is being written in this contract, it's going to come to pass. Every good that's being listed, it's there in quantity and quality. So the Holy Spirit is called a seal in that he attests us as believers and certifies that we truly are the real thing. We are children of God. One of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 2, he tells the church at Corinth, he says that you are a seal of my apostleship. In other words, what he's saying is, guys, at the church of Corinth, your lives attest and validate my calling as an apostle. One of the things that a seal does is it, it certifies, it authenticates that something is genuine. So just stay with me here because when we make personal application, this is so important. 
Because how many of you were born, I'll just, I'll just share right now. How many of you were born again with the Spirit? How many of you know you've been sealed by the Spirit? Do you know that means that God has accepted you and approved of you? If you know you have the Spirit, it means he has approved you. So I want to I share this in the book of Acts. I want you to see how the Holy Spirit does this. The, the book of Acts, really it's one of its primary purposes is to show movement of the gospel. And if you, if you look at it, the book of Acts starts in this small room in Jerusalem, and then at the end you find yourself making to Rome itself. And along this journey of the gospel moving, we see the gospel crossing every type of boundary possible. Geographical boundaries, political boundaries, religious boundaries. And you see the gospel just keeps moving and nothing can stop it. Well, one of, the, one of the great challenges in the book of Acts was the idea that the Gentiles could be included in this glorious truth of salvation. And so when, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out first for the Jews because they were the covenant people. But then something radical happened. We began to see that God's purpose all along had always been to include Gentiles, which is just a non-Jew, meaning it's for everyone. It's for everyone. So there's one story in particular that shows this beautiful reality of, of the Holy Spirit as a seal attesting to something that's authentic. And it, it starts with Peter. How many know Peter's story of going into the Roman officer's house, Cornelius? This was where we first see the, the Holy, we first see the gospel touching Gentiles. And long story short, Peter, I'll, I'll actually go to the other side, uh, Cornelius has this vision that, uh, of, from the Lord. He has, a, he has a, a, an encounter with an angel, and the angel says, you need to send men to the town of Joppa to find this man by the name of Simon Peter. And so he sends these men, Cornelius sends these men. As that's happening, a day later, it just so happens that when these men arrive to Simon's house, Simon Peter, he happens to be on the roof, very hungry, and falls into a trance. And as he falls into a trance and has this vision of God, he sees a blanket that's laid out with all types of food, food that was typically deemed unclean in, the, in Judaism. But now God was saying, take and eat. And somehow Peter just knew the Lord was saying, this means that the gospel is being opened up to the Gentiles now who used to be deemed unclean. He has a, he has a, a word from the angel that says, go downstairs, there's men looking for you. Peter goes downstairs, he sees these men and says, I'm the man you're looking for, what do we need to do? And they say, come back with us to the house of Cornelius. So he goes with them. And now it's four days later, Cornelius is ready for them in the house. He has all of his family and relatives, and Peter begins to preach the gospel. And it says, as Peter preaches, think about how profound this is. Gentiles couldn't be in included. As Peter preaches the gospel, it says the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and his entire household. And in the very next chapter, after this happened, Word spread among the apostles and certain elders, and they said, Peter, how dare you go into the house of the uncircumcised? How could you do that? And Peter begins to recount the entire story of what took place. But there was opposition to what he was saying until he said this one thing. Acts chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. Look what he says. It's on the screen. He says this to them that were questioning this. He says, so if God gave them the same gift... The Holy Spirit, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, now the people that were opposing this, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What was the thing that finally said, we believe this? 
it's when Peter got to the part that says, guys, when I was preaching, the Holy Spirit came and fell on them. And the moment they heard this, they said, well, then we can't question this. This is a move of God. See, God pours out his spirit only where he approves. His spirit being poured out authenticates that it's genuine move of God, and God has put a stamp of approval. So they knew that when the spirit was poured out on man, that it meant God was saying, I accept you and I approve of them. But then he says this in Acts chapter 15. Peter first basically says that the spirit being poured out was testifying to everyone else around that they belonged. But then once again, Peter, Peter was being questioned by other religious leaders at the Jerusalem council. And the kind of the same things came up. And they said, Peter, in order for the Gentiles to be accepted, they need to follow the law of Moses and be circumcised. And here is what Peter says in Acts 15, 8 through 9. As he addresses the apostles and elders, he says this. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. Just as he did to us. In other translations, it says God bore witness that he accepts them. How do we know this? Because they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So Peter teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a seal and that it authenticates. And one of the ways it does that is Peter says when the Holy Spirit came on these people, it testified to the world that they belonged to God. But then he says in this scripture, God was actually testifying to them. God wanted the Gentiles to know deep within them that he had accepted them because they received the Spirit of God. Incredibly important for you to recognize this. And to recognize that God pours out his Spirit in order to authenticate that it's him. In order to actually attest that this is genuine and legit. Do you know in the, in the let me give you a more modern day example before I bring application into this. The uh, Protestant Reformation, where Martin Luther broke off from the Catholic Church, many of you know this in the 1500s, there has been animosity between the Catholic Church and the Protestants since then. Some places of the world, there's deep, deep hatred. And I'm not getting into what's right and wrong, but I just want to make this point. On the one side of the Protestants towards the Catholics, there's, there's a lot of skepticism as to how legit and genuine uh, what is taking place in the Catholic Church. They question if there's really genuine salvation because of certain things that are being taught. Well, what's interesting is that in the 1960s, there was something known as the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Any of you guys ever hear about this? So I was looking into this a little more. It's actually quite fascinating. We got a man running. <laughs> there was a college, a university called Duquesne University. And it was a Catholic university located in Pittsburgh. And there were two professors there in particular who wound up going to some type of, uh, we'd probably call it a conference. And while they were there, they were introduced to a book, which I'm blown away by the book. The book is The Cross and the Switchblade, which is what David Wilkerson wrote for the founder of Teen Challenge, which is where many of us come out of. And so they read this book, and they were stirred because the book really emphasizes the power of the Holy Spirit. So they started hungering for the Holy Spirit, these two professors from Duquesne University. And what do you think happened? They begin to see manifestations of the Spirit, and they begin to see the power of the Spirit move in a way they never saw before. 
Well, they began to lay hands on other professors at this university, and the thing kept moving. And finally, one day in 1967, they had this chapel service at this university, of which they began to pray for all these professors and students, and the Spirit of God just moved in a crazy way. There was renewed sense of mission and salvations were taking place, and it actually began to spread to Notre Dame University and went on from there. And in fact, I found out my mother was telling me about how um, there was a man by the name of Father Bob from uh, St. Barnabas in Belmore, who uh, my grandfather used to attend uh, when he was early on in his faith, where Father Bob was having these meetings outside of Mass because they were experiencing the move of the Spirit, and he would meet on Monday nights in like this downstairs rec room, and he was a part of that. <laughs> but my point is this, is that the Protestants who always have attacked the Catholics, whether right or wrong doesn't matter, my point is this, is that when they saw the move of the Spirit in these particular areas, they could not deny that this was God. The Spirit certified that this was a move of God. The Spirit certified that God was approving what was taking place. Do you know that when Jesus was baptized, we talk about this scene a lot, when Jesus was baptized and the heavens were opened up, and we know that what? The Father spoke approval and sonship over Jesus. And what was certifying that? The releasing of the Spirit. The Spirit was coupled with approval and acceptance. This is why it says in John 6, 27, that the Father has placed his seal of approval on the Son, which is the Holy Spirit. I say this because this is so important for every person in this room. Because if you know that you have been born again and sealed by the Spirit, you need to know that your Father in heaven accepts you and approves of you and says you are certified, you are legit, you are an actual born-again believer, a follower of Christ, a child of God. No matter what the world says, no matter what your own mind says at times, where it says, man, I've really messed up this week, you need to come before your Father with confidence because of the Spirit testifying to your spirit that you are God's. You have to understand how important this is because if you're anything like me in my early walk, I was blown all over the place the moment I fell flat on my face thinking, that's it, it's over for me. And I've actually learned how to grow through being secure in my position as a child of God. If you do not know that he approves of you and accepts you at the moment of salvation, you cannot become more accepted than that. If you don't know that, all of your obedience will be tainted. That's how it was for me. All of your obedience will either be to gain something from God or out of fear of not losing something. You will never be able to obey him just simply because you love him. Because you're never really quite sure where you stand. But when you are confident that he has secured you and sealed you with the Holy Spirit, you then can actually begin to pursue him from a place of love and joy and run after him. And I feel the Lord has showed me that just some are so under the voice of condemnation. We've got it so backwards. We, 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 we fear teaching on, on being secure in God's house that will lead us to reckless living. No, it's not. It actually leads us to run after him more. When you are accepted in Christ, that produces a profound love in your heart. And there is no greater motivation for obedience than love. When you know you're accepted, it produces love, which leads to radical obedience and sacrifice for Jesus. You must know that he has, he has approved you. And if you can say, I know I've been sealed by the Spirit, that's it. He's accepted you. And you need to live from that place of confidence. 
Because I think many of us, if you're like me prior to knowing the Lord, this is what most of us are searching for. We're desperately looking to be accepted. We're desperately looking to, to be approved. And it's led us to do some crazy things, to be accepted and belong to certain things. What greater privilege than to know that your heavenly Father approves of you? You don't need to prove anything to anyone. He's accepted you because of the work of Christ. You see, that's why it's not based on your work. It's based on the perfect work of Christ. You can't add to that. Let that transform you and lead you into a life of freedom. So here's the second thing that a seal does. The first thing is that it, it, it authenticates you. It certifies that you are genuine, that you belong to the family of God. The second thing is this, is that it's a mark of ownership. In other words, it speaks to actually a proof of identity. Let me read this scripture with you. We'll put it on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll look at verses 21 to 22. And this is what it says. Very similar wording to what we read in Ephesians. It says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts, similar language, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The seal, in this case, he's emphasizing ownership. In, in the biblical times, they would often seal their, their cattle as a way to mark this is our, my property. They would even seal slaves as well as a mark that this was their property. One of the ways that they would actually use sealing as a mark of ownership is they would take jars of clay and they would form them in order to put contents in them, liquid, wine, whatever it may be. And then they would take this wet um, clay and put it on top and they take their signet ring which was their, their seal, had a family name many times, and they'd seal the top of the jar of clay. And the impression would make a seal and solidify what was in there. I love that because the scripture says we're like jars of clay. <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit has sealed the name of Christ on us. And he's marked you, says, you are mine now. <laughs> I own you. <laughs> and that is a glorious thing. You're no longer under your old master of sin. You have been liberated and you are mine now. You are a child of God. And the question I'd, I'd present to you is, why would, why would God mark us for ownership? I was thinking about this, and if you lose something, right? If you lose something, you typically need proof of ownership in order to receive it back, right? If you lost your car or your car was stolen and the police called you up and said, we found it, they're not just going to give it to you. They're going to want proof of ownership that this is yours, right? You lose a pet, they're going to want to look at the tag or some type of, again, proof that you own this pet. Now, it's incredible because God has marked his lost children, but, but where this falls apart is that God is the highest form of authority. He does not need proof of ownership in order to present to someone that we're really his. So the question is, why does God mark us for ownership then? Is God fearful that he's going to forget who his children are? <laughs> is he like, thank goodness I marked him because I would, not you, brother. I'm just pointing out. <laughs> me. <laughs> because I, I would forget that one. <laughs> God doesn't seal us and mark us so that he knows who belongs to him. God seals us and marks us so that we know we belong to him. It's for our benefit. It's in his grace that he seals us so that we go through life knowing with confidence that we are a child of God. His proof of ownership exists for our benefit 
to assure us that we belong to him. He wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are his people. You are his treasure. You are his prized possession. And whenever you begin to doubt that through life, he says, look at the spirit that has sealed you. It attests to the fact that you are mine. One of, one of the ways that they would have a mark of ownership was with legal documents. In particular with marriage, but with especially with adoption. This is so important because this speaks into what we're talking about here with adoption, with, with uh, being marked for ownership. Let me read this scripture. It's on the screen, Romans 8. You guys, you guys follow me right now. Romans 8, 15 through 16. I just feel we're going to share some truth, and then the truth is setting people free as we speak it. Verse 15 says, listen to this. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the spirit, Galatians 4, 6 says, the spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The spirit inside of you is crying out and testifying that you are owned by God, not in any type of way, but that he is now your father and you are his child. Now, when we read this, we probably wouldn't get the full weight of what Paul was saying, but they would have gotten it because they lived in the Roman culture. You see, the picture is this. If I was, if I lived in Roman times, and call me Maximus. <laughs> I, maybe I fantasized about being a, a Roman gladiator, right? <laughs> but no, nah, we'll call my name Andrew. But if I lived in Roman times, Maximus Aurelius. <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I backtracked. I'm watching too much Gladiator. So if I lived in a Roman time period, if I, let's just say I had a son, a natural born son, and as, uh, as he's growing up, and he's just terrible. <laughs> he's, he's out of control. He doesn't listen. Uh, he's getting into trouble. And in a culture of honor and shame, this is a big deal. And so finally I get to the point and say, that's it. I'm disowning you. I'm releasing you as a son. I would go down to the local government, and I would go to a local official, and I would explain to them, I'm releasing this, this son Ryan, I don't know. And, and they'd say, okay. They'd go through the paperwork, and I would actually, I would disown him. He would no longer have my name. He would no longer have any access to the inheritance that, that he was first promised. All of that would be gone now. And if I had a, a slave, which is more like a, an indentured servant in my household, if he was in my household, and over time, this, this, uh, this servant, I said, man, he is such a good man. He's, he's, uh, he's uh, you know, he's, he's, he's nice and he um, works hard, and we've gotten closer together. I could go to him and say, I'm going to adopt you as my son. And everything that I have is going to be yours. And everything that, that, that you are is, is going to be mine now. And I could go down to the local, again, again, government and go to the officials. And when they would come, they'd say, Andrew, Maximus, <laughs> are, are, you, are you sure you want to adopt this, this man as your child? I'd say, yes. They would do the paperwork, and then they would seal it. And they would seal it. They would seal adoption, which means that if I were to go back down the road, and apparently I'm a terrible father because this son is out of control now. <laughs> and I said, I don't want this son. I made a big mistake. If I were to go back to the government and say, listen, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have adopted him. They would say, Andrew, the document's sealed. You can't go back on that. He's your child now. I just sense an anointing on that. Uh, 
Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. You see, in the Roman, in the Roman period, they, they believed when you had a natural-born child, you couldn't choose what that child would look like, so you were actually able to disown them. But when it came to adoption, you chose the child, which means you could never get rid of them because you knew what you were getting into. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 that says, before the foundations of the world, he chose us. In love, he, let me say this, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ according to his pleasure and will. It has nothing to do with you. He did it long before that you were even took a breath. He said, I want them. Rest in the fact that his motive for taking you in is love. It's according to his pleasure and his will that God has brought you into his family. And we weren't adopted as cuddly little kids. <laughs> right? That's what we think of. It, it would be more like going to, going to adoption, finding a 13-year-old, and, and when you start to meet with a social worker, they say, I just need you to know something. This guy, he... He's a pyromaniac. He's, he's, uh, he's expressing himself in inappropriate ways sexually. He has a violent history. His father has been in prison. His grandfather's been in prison. His great-grandfather's been in prison. You would say, well, hold on, wait one minute. Do I really want to adopt this child? And if you did, you certainly would sleep with one eye open. <laughs> I know that's, it's comical, but the scriptures, Christ had to die for our sin. When he saw us, we weren't cute, cuddly kids. We were rebellious to the core. And he says, I want you. And the spirit of God inside of you is testifying to the fact that in his love, he has chosen you. And you are his now. I'm, I'm really excited right now. Thank you, Jesus. It's something deeply internal. This is very important. The scriptures we read said that the Spirit, listen, 1 Corinthians 1.22, it says that he put, our, put the Spirit into our hearts. Listen to Galatians 4.6. Listen, I want you to see this. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba. In other words, one of the great things that has changed from the Old Covenant to the New is in the Old Covenant, religion was primarily restricted to the external realm. It was about external evidences to prove that God was real. But what he has done now in the new covenant is that God himself has come to live inside of you, to testify from within that you are his child. So yes, look at the stars and be caught up in awe at God's creation and his order. Absolutely. Hear the testimonies of what God is doing and be encouraged. But know this. He's given you an even greater evidence that he is real and that he loves you and that you're his, which is something from the inside crying out that you belong to him now. Have you heard that voice crying out? Have you silenced that? Have you heard other voices and have taken those over his? The scriptures say that the spirit inside of us cries out. The Greek word is kradzo. It's not this weak, insecure, faint whisper. It is a loud irrepressible cry from the heart of, of the Christian that is literally coming out, breaking forth and saying, you are God's child. Crying out inside of you. One of the great desires of God, as I said before, is that we would be secure in his love and power. 
I want you to know that what God wants us to know is that a believer is a secure member of his family, not because you're holding on, but because the spirit inside of you is applying the promises of Christ to your life. And that is causing deep transformation. Paul, when Paul spoke about this in terms of slavery, there's a lot of different types of slaves. It was very common in this time period. You had everything from imperial slaves, which had high positions, to uh, mine slaves. And in between, there was many different roles. One of them was household slaves. And probably a lot of what Paul was referencing had to deal with this because one of the things that's interesting is that uh, a household slave, as I said before, was more like, more like a servant, almost in some cases an employee that lived in the house. And so what would happen is, is during family times, they were often with the family, especially in the times of meals. And what's interesting is that if you were to go into a household and you would see a family sitting around the table in this time period, you couldn't tell the difference between the son and the slave. They were all sitting at the table together. But the son and the slave had a completely different internal position because they knew of their position at that table. The son knew that he belonged. The slave was never quite sure what the future holds for him. It was all dependent on whether he could work and do what he was supposed to. I feel like what God wants to say is that there are many of us who gather here on Sundays. We sit together like we would as a family, and some operate from an internal position of sonship. Others are operating from an internal position of slavery. You're not sure where you stand. You're not sure if God really wants you. You're not sure if you belong. And he wants you to know that you are secure in his family. Kids need to know that they're secure. Do you know how important that is for kids? Anyone who deals with children, teachers, you, you know that kids need to feel that they're secure. If they do not feel secure, they begin to act out in very wild ways. They begin to put on masks. They begin to become very closed off. They become very angry. They need to have a measure of, of trust with their parents that they're going to provide and be there and a measure of consistency. If they don't have security, it leads them to live pretty reckless lives. If a kid does not feel secure, he will never be able to receive correction from his parents. Because the moment his parents begin to correct him, he will receive it as rejection. He'll run away. Because he's so insecure about his position, so he'll never be able to open up about what's actually going on in his life because he's never really quite sure what his status is. You need to know, listen, you need to know that you, you are accepted and approved because actually that will lead you to the Father rather than away from him. You see, if we're not secure in the, in the Father and what he's done for us, when we sin, we run away from God rather than towards him. I've heard a quote like this from Sean Balls. Listen to this. He says, religion is this. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Sonship is this. I messed up. I need to call my dad. How are you operating right now? Are you operating from the place that you are secure in his family? Are you letting that lead you to him and grow in his wonderful grace? I can tell you this. God wants to threaten everything that you're trying to find security in other than himself. One way I think we can even define sin is trying to find security in something other than God. And God is, God is, is committed to breaking that so that you would come back to the one thing that is unshakable, and that is him. And that's why he's put his spirit in you that's crying out, testifying to your heart that you belong to him so that you would be confident in that. And the last thing I'll share on this point, I told you the last one I'll share briefly is this. This is so important. You've been sealed with the spirit marking ownership, not just any type of ownership, but sonship. 
And if we were to keep reading Romans and Galatians about sonship, you would find in the very next scriptures, it says, because you are sons, you are also heirs. This is why the scripture keeps saying that when you are sealed with the spirit, he's a guarantee of what is to come. He's a deposit of what is to come. He's a first installment. It's like this. Imagine I were to go eat breakfast somewhere. I think Jimmy's Diner is just cash only, <laughs> right? And so you'd go and eat a whole meal, and when you go up to the register to pay, you see that sign. <laughs> it says cash only, and you say, no way, I, I, only, I don't have anything. I mean, check your wallet, all that is my cards. And they typically will say, go down the street, drive two minutes down the road, there's an ATM. And in some cases, they may say, well, can you leave your driver's license here? <laughs> sure, no problem. Now, why did I leave my driver's license? Because it's a guarantee that I'm going to come back and finish the business I started. Because my driver's license has a measure of value, and they know that, that they can feel secure that I will come back and finish this. God hasn't just given us anything. He's given us himself in the spirit. He's trying to say, I've given you the most valuable thing so that you know I'm coming back to finish what I started. I'm not going to leave you here. You, you can be confident that even though this world will pass away, you will have me and you will live with me forever. The Spirit is not simply, when he's a guarantee of first installment, he's not simply promising the future. He's actually taking the future and giving you a, a taste of it today. <laughs> he's actually letting you experience. So when you experience the goodness of God, when you experience those moments where you say, I wish I would never leave from this place, I just sense uh, the Lord is so close, I have a knowledge of the Lord in a way that is sometimes hard through life, the Lord, I feel like, is saying in that, that's just a taste of what is to come. You will spend eternity. What is eternal life? That we may know God and his son whom he sent. And the spirit inside of you wants to give you an internal knowledge right now, but it's, it's, there's coming a full and complete knowledge when we come to meet him in heaven. I'll, I'll share this last scripture. Romans 8.23 says this in regards to the spirit. We who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. The spirit that you've been given is the first fruits. That language is incredible because when it came to first fruits, that meant harvest time was down the road. The spirit that you've received, as incredible as it is, the new life it gives you, hope, new family, new relationships, changes everything. God says that's the first fruits. The harvest still hasn't even come yet. The best is yet to come. The first fruits is the beginning of the harvest. <laughs> so I'll close right here. You know, that's actually why in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, it says, come Lord now. It's called the Maranatha call. I was studying through that, and I realized that call of that cry from their heart to come Lord now, it wasn't from a cry of God being absent. It was because they were tasting him right now, and he's so good that they were crying out, saying, Lord, come now. We want all of it. Is there a Maranatha cry in your heart because you've tasted him? He's so good. The last thing I'll share right here. So he, the, the seal authenticates us. The seal is a mark of ownership. And real quick, the seal is, a, is for protection and preserving. Ephesians 4.30 says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's important because we're under new ownership now. So this is what I mean. Our lives will change as we come into new ownership under the Lord. But it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, you were sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has been given as a seal to protect you and preserve you in this life journey. They would often seal things like a letter. 
in order to make sure that the contents couldn't be tampered with when they would send it somewhere. You have been sealed as a means of protecting you, preserving you, leading you into righteousness and holiness as you go through the trials of life in order that you would be kept until the day of redemption. I love it. <laughs> so you have been sealed as, as a means to attest to the reality of your status in Christ. He has sealed you as a means to brand you as his own property. And he's guaranteeing that there will be protection in the transit because we are God's permanent and precious possession. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come forward. Where would we be without the Holy Spirit as a seal? Crying out, confirming these things. Letting us know that we truly belong to him. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.